Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, there where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, that you will eat what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about the body, what you will put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Thank you, Kim. I'm looking at a portion of scripture that I know 99% of us have seen two, three, four, five, six times and have had all kinds of messages it's very daunting. Um, if this was my word, but it is the word of God. And as I've been praying the last couple of days, I just have a sense of excitement because I believe that God wants to speak to us dramatically and profoundly through this portion of the word. Um, as we've been saying, Myself and then last Shabbat, Michael Brown. Um, these uh, sermons, these messages are really not about separating you from your shkalim. Um, you know, the, this is not, uh, we, um, if you've been part of Yeshua Zion for a while, you know that uh, we loathe, actually loathe, the prospect of trying to put on a full court press and people and um, and tweak and manipulate people into giving money. Um, that's abominable. And it, it is to wax biblically, it is a stench in the nostril of God because it doesn't really say much for who God is. If, if I have to try and manipulate folks, um, it doesn't convey a great deal of trust in who God is. Um, 
and our desire is first and foremost to learn to walk in faith, to grow in our faith relationship with Him, to learn to know what life is all about as we get to know Him better. So having said all that, I want to pause for just a moment and, um, and just invite the Lord to speak to us. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for this awesome portion of your word uh, that is both profound and simple at the same time. And uh, Lord God, uh, I pray especially for those of us who have heard this portion of your word again and again. I pray, Lord God, that you would take the scales of our eyes and that you will cause us to see what you are saying to us in your word. And Lord God, much more we ask that you would cause us, Lord, to embrace your word. And we pray, Lord God, that you would do niflaot, wondrous things, Lord, as we look into your word and that your word would change and transform and revolutionize our life, Lord that we would become stronger men and women in faith. And we ask this, Lord, in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Yeshua here talks about treasures. And um, you, you may or may not be aware of the fact that in those days, um, they didn't have what we now refer to as Fort Knox. And I was looking up at Fort Knox, and I was just absolutely fascinated by it. Um, in 1933, FDR, um, President Roosevelt, issued an executive order banning the private um, property, the, the, the private possession uh, of gold co coins or bullion. No American citizen was permitted. This is 1933, just at the height of the Depression. Um, nobody was permitted to have gold. So you, after a couple of years where everybody was supposed to turn in their gold, you had the gold piling up. So they decided to, to build a gold depository uh, just outside of Fort Knox, Kentucky. In any event, at this point, it has about... 5,000 tons of gold bullion. I can't really get my arms around that. Um, and it's worth $278 billion. This is really a treasury. I mean, it's lined with granite walls. It's protected by blast-proof door weighing 22 tons. In other words, there's nothing you can do once this door is locked to break through. You can drill through it. You can blast it. Um, nobody has the combination to this door. Um, not a single person. You have several people who have a number of combinations. And to open the door, you have to have all of them come together and share this bits of, of data in order to be able to open the door. Uh, then the facility uh, is surrounded by fences and it's guarded by the Mint Police and there are 30,000 soldiers real close by 
and they have tanks and armored personnel carriers and attack helicopters and artillery. So in case you were thinking about going to Fort Knox, uh, let me encourage you not. Uh, then on top of that, there are rumors that um, you have there are minefields and uh, ground-sweeping radar um, that is somehow connected to automated, automated uh, machine guns. Um, so in other words, if, if this is really true, which may or may not be, uh, they're lasers, um, and that uh, if you are an intruder, you would break the laser and... <laughs> Anyways, that's why we people are, are typically say uh, something is locked up tighter than Fort Knox. I mean, it's a real treasury, and it's underground. Um, so unless you are some villain in, uh, in the Bond movie Goldfinger, let me encourage you not to consider it. <laughs> Anyways, it, 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 this just shows you uh, the great lengths to which we try to guard treasuries. Um, you know, you may have a treasure box or, or a, uh, uh, a safe... Um, Safe deposit, safety deposit box. Um, it, you know, all of us have things that we consider precious that we try to, to keep and preserve. We invest uh, energy in it. And people certainly did in Yeshua's day. You know, there was a lot of poverty um, in Israel during those years. Uh, people were farmers. There was famine. On top of that, you had the Romans who were controlling the country and then you had lackeys uh, who taxed you to death you know the uh, author of this record Matthew you may know was a tax collector uh, who would stand at the toll gate uh, as people were, were coming coming down the road and collect taxes and they had wide latitude it's not like there was a tax code you know, they, uh, Matthew would look at you and say, hmm, uh, that's a nice uh, pair of earring. Uh, we're going to charge you a drachma uh, or a shekel to, um, to go half into my coffer and half into the, the coffer of the Romans. Or he would see that you have a, uh, a new fishing pole for your, for your business and uh, do the same thing. And so... People were looking to preserve and protect. And Yeshua addresses this as part of a larger set of instructions, which we call the Sermon on the Mount, where he lays out before us what does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of God? What does it mean to be a follower of Yeshua to be one of his disciples. And in this, uh, as, uh, I assume you have read Matthew chapter 5 and earlier portion of chapter 6 and in, then later in chapter 7. Yeshua gets both very personal in the face and also very radical. And he says here, he begins by saying, look, let me tell you that the kingdom of God is counterintuitive. 
Okay, you think that in order for life to be uh, secure, you need to go this way. Let me explain to you that your life needs actually to go in that opposite direction. He says, look, uh, what happens if you have a treasury short of Fort Knox? Um, You can have thieves. And folks, this is where we live today, isn't it? Um, I have been unable to get my email for the last couple of weeks because um, I'm on Comcast. They have changed the direction, the requirements for passwords in order to uh, prevent hackers from breaking into the system. Uh, This is very personal, folks. You know, the things that we do in order to try and protect ourselves. And Yeshua says... Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. He doesn't minimize the fact that money is needed and possessions are necessary. But what he's saying, like he has been saying throughout this passage, is look at the heart. Look at the heart. Look at the heart, and the heart would tell you if you are in the right direction or if you are way off the mark. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. And I think all of us at this point in life recognize the fact that our security can sometimes be very vulnerable. You know what I'm talking about? Doesn't it sometimes feel like our security hangs by a thread? And Yeshua says, invest your life in that which will not be destroyed. Invest your life in doing things for God, in serving the kingdom of God's purposes. And he says, look, simple, simple uh, formula Uh, Where you invest your priorities, that indicates that this is where your heart is. And you can say everything and anything you want, but if your resources are invested in one direction, then that's really where your heart is. You can say all kinds of stuff. Blah, 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 and more blah especially spiritually sounding blah. And let, let, me, let, let me just put this out for you as, as a challenge when you go home sometime today. Sit down with a piece of paper and just jot down the 10 things that are worth the most to you in order of preference. And I... I I have a strong suspicion that that will be a real eye-opening, real eye-opener for you in terms of where your heart really is. Put your time and energy and resource priority, number one to ten, on a piece of paper. That will tell you where you are. You know, for me, for a long time, having a building for Yeshua is my treasure. Uh... And like treasures in general, there was a legitimate aspect to it, okay? 
having a building for our congregation is a legitimate need. It's part of our vision. Um, as you heard James earlier saying in the very beginning of the service, if you were here, Lord, we thank you for the new place that you have already prepared for us. It's a faith statement. Strongly believe that that's reality. Why do we need a building? We need a building to accommodate, accommodate growth. Growth, folks, I realize that, that there's all kinds of silliness um, today among believers because of uh, all kinds of foolishness, hyper-emphasis on, on growth, the growth movement. But folks, reality is that growth is a major principle of the kingdom of God. It's not about numbers, numbers, folks. It's about people who are reached for God, who are reached by God. That's what that is about. God has a heart for people. And as you and I get to know Him and tune into His frequency and His set of priorities, we will have a heart for people as well. Even those of us that consider ourselves to be antisocial and introverted, etc., etc., hermits. You get to know God, you have to have a heart for people. A building is necessary for growth. The Lord has called us to be a city that is set on a hill. Yeshua said, let your light shine so that people would see and know you and give <coughs> honor and glory to your Father in heaven. And yes, he's been doing good things here with us. Because he's God. And he's got power. And you're here because the Lord has brought you. Yet at the same time, I hear statements like, uh, it took me six years to find you. I'm not picking anybody. Um, that's reality. We, we seem to be sort of under the radar even with the sign and even with the awesome website that we have. So we feel uh, somewhat constricted in our ability to reach out. We don't have a place of central identity. That's legitimate, legitimate need to have a building. And I believe strongly that in God's time we will have one. Because God has already selected a place. But over a period of time, I realized that in a sense, emotionally and spiritually, this had become my treasure, my idol. You know, if we only had a building, <laughs> then this would happen, that would happen, etc., etc., etc. And the Lord opened my eyes to the fact that what was involved was unbelief. Not willing, not able to trust God. And I know the facts on the ground. The facts on the ground are that at current rate of growth, it will take us 32 years to be able to afford a building. And that's a pretty steep, steep curve. But God has provided a building for us here for this stage of our growth. And he will provide a building for us for the next stage of the growth that he has in mind for us. And more to the point, 
It isn't just the perception of the fact that God has, in con- that God has things under control. What had become reality for me, and I know, folks, I'm delighted each about when I come to worship God that this has become reality for many, many of us here, that our treasure is the Lord, that the Lord has become our treasure, increasingly so, and we want that to be more and more reality. And Yeshua says very simply, where your nose is, that's where you're headed. Not quite, but uh, Urbach uh, version here. The eye <coughs> is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. The word there means literally single-minded. If you are focused in one direction, not looking here, looking there, your body will be full of light. On the other hand, if your eyes are bad, in other words, greedy, your body will be full of darkness. So here, Yeshua is talking to two groups of folks. I believe that in the first part of this segment, he's speaking to, to people who have funds, who have resources, are okay financially, and want more. Because that's human nature. The more you have, the more you want, right? Do do we really get satisfied and say, oh, I've got everything I need, I'm fine? No, I don't believe so. Human nature is, I've got, I want. And especially since we are tweaked in that direction by everything we see around us. So one group of people is, don't pile things up that are not building and adding to your life in a way that is non-destructible, that is eternal. The second part, he's talking to folks who don't have and wish they had, which I believe includes just about everybody here in this room. And this is a biggie. And Yeshua spends a lot of time here pounding this message to folks who are struggling and who don't have and wish they could have. He addresses the issue not so much of the lack, but again, it's the heart, folks. This is all about the heart. Yeshua says, do not worry about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, etc., etc. The language there, the context implies you have been worrying, now stop worrying. It's natural to worry. In our in our society, in our economy. You know, if you are if you listen to the uh, pundits, the talking heads who supposedly read the economic tea leaves, they'll either tell you that we're heading in a great place or else we're heading down into the, off the abyss and you can be encouraged one moment and then be totally depressed and etc., etc. The Lord gives us a command. This is not, if you feel like it, don't worry. On a good day, don't worry. 
He says, stop worrying. Worry cannot be what defines your life. Worry cannot be what defines your life. Why? And then he proceeds to give us several reasons why worry is totally nutty. Shuggy. Counterproductive. First of all, if you are consumed with worry, what's going to happen? How am I going to do it? Etc. Do you have any brain cells that are open to hearing the voice of God and doing what He wants you to do? You really do not because you are preoccupied with worry. What am I going to do? What is he going to do? What is she going to do? How is this going to look? That's what fills your screen. You do not have any capacity to be quiet and to hear the voice of God and to be available in engaging and serving him. The word of God says to us, stand ready, be urgent, be instant in season and out of season. At times when you feel ready and prepared, at times when you don't. You can't do that if you're worrying. Yeshua then goes on to talk about the issue of the heart again. Where are your priorities? What are you devoted to? Who are you devoted to? No one can serve two masters. Either hate the one, love the other. Or be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Mammon, the Aramaic word for money. It's not really a little God. It's just um, material things. Again, the attitude of the heart. You know, every Shabbat we recite the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. Can you really do that if you're consumed with worry? You can't. God knows our circumstances. God knows our financial situation. Those of us who are who have lost their their jobs in the last few months. We have a number of folks who are in that position. A number of other folks who are underemployed and then overemployed, you know, where you're, you're just working, being worked to death by Pharaoh. And you worry. You worry what's going to happen. Worry is based on the fact that we expect to have the possibility of misfortune or danger. You know, we we have this basic fear. And reality is, danger and misfortune is possible. We live in a broken world, and bad things happen. And, And following Yeshua does not mean that we have a bubble around us that protects us from any, from all and any difficult situations. However, God is greater than all of those. God is greater than all of those. Got an email from a friend of mine 
um, lives in South Carolina, who's in his 80s, and was led to the Lord. He's a Jewish guy. He was led to the Lord partially through my mother's ministry. And he was diagnosed with late-stage prostate cancer. He doesn't know what's going to happen. It, will he have to go to surgery? Will he have to go to chemo? Etc., etc. But he talked to his doctor and he said, uh, my long-term prospects are secure. I love it. He has every reason in the book to be afraid of the pain and the possibility, the likelihood of death. But because his nose is pointed towards the Lord, he knows that God somehow, in the midst of all of this, God somehow has things under control. And when you think about it, folks, worry is, is basically fear. It's fear. And when we worry, we are transgressing a basic commandment of the Word of God that says here and elsewhere, do not worry. It's a very explicit command. And when we choose to worry... We're saying, Lord, um, you don't have things under control. So I have to bite my fingernails and um, come up with all sorts of scenarios. I love what Scripture has to say. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn that was one of the songs we sang earlier during the time of worship. What does it mean to commit? I love what the Hebrew says here. It li literally has a sense of roll onto God. It's sort of like a tire, you know, all the, the baggage of, of nervousness and fear and worry and anxiety is sort of this something that clings to you and you just take and you roll it away from you onto the Lord. It's Psalm 37. Psalm 55 has also a very vivid kind of a picture. Cast your cares on him and he will sustain you. Again, the language is very vivid. It literally means take your anxiety and throw it onto God. Almost like a ball, you throw it away from you onto God. Same thing also in... In 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, let's deal with reality. What happens if you want to do that and you feel incapable of rolling your anxiety onto God? Why? Because fear and anxiety and worry have become embedded into the fabric of who you are. And you have absolutely no clue what to do with it. It happens over a period of time. Yeshua talks about the, the seed that falls into a ground that grows and develops and then gets choked by the weeds. And he describes the weeds as being 
the cares and anxiety of the world. What do you do with that? What do you do when you are consumed with anxiety? And yes, there are a number of things, especially if, if, if this is very, very deep stuff. But on some level, you recognize that worry is a sin. And you come before the Lord and you ask Him for forgiveness. And you ask Him to empower you by His Spirit to walk in faith. Yes, folks, I understand that the reality of, of needing help when fear has gotten us consumed. I understand that. But the basic reality is, first of all, you and I and God. You and I and God. Are we going to be consumed by fear and worry? And reality is that all around us, Life conspires to stoke the worry and the fear. There, there are things that just tend to tweak and, and strengthen and increase our fear and anxiety. And there's a battle that takes place in our life between fear and worry and anxiety and our choosing to trust God. And there's a basic reality here, folks. Very basic reality is that which you feed, that will win. Let me say that again. Whatever it is that you feed the most, that will win. If you learn to feed your life of faith with God, that will dominate and win over difficult situations whereas where there is fear and worry and unbelief. How do you feed your faith? Well, the good book. The reality of the good book. And how the, the truth of the Word of God applies to you and I and how we learn to walk by faith and see how God shows himself faithful to us. Amen. That which we feed the most becomes the dominant in our life. We all have a choice whether we want to feed our faith, our trust in the Lord, in His love for us, in His ability, or whether we want to feed our insecurity and our worry. And Yeshua looks at nature and He says, look, look at the birds. Look at the squirrels. We, uh, we, we, uh, we have a squirrel family real close to, to our uh, window, or at least within vision, we see those little critters coming up and down and climbing, chasing each other, and doing all these things, squirrely things. <laughs> and year after year, even when it gets down to zero degrees, minus 
uh, minus uh, below zero, we see those little critters, somehow they manage to eat and grow and multiply. And Yeshua's point is, look, look, at, this, look at, at nature, look at the birds, look at the squirrels. Somehow, and it's not just nature, mother nature, it is our Heavenly Father feeds them. And then Yeshua says, don't you think that you are a smidge more valuable to your Heavenly Father, to Abba, than these squirrels are? And this is where f faith really comes in. Because we've been fed so many lies, we've embraced lies, that we consider ourselves to be valueless, worthless in the eyes of God, in, in our eyes. So we have no reason to believe that God would invest Himself and His resources and His power in us to see to it that we're cared for. Self-fulfilling prophecy, unfortunately. Yeshua makes this argument from a traditionally rabbinic argument called uh, from the lesser to the greater. If this is true, how much more this would be true? If God sees to it that the animals are taken care of, how much more will He see to it that you're taken care of because you're infinitely more valuable to Him. Abba Father did not send His Son to die for the squirrels. He sent His Son to die for you and I because we're infinitely more worthy than the world of nature. Worrying is also unbelief. Because we refuse to accept God's faithfulness and ability to provide for us. Unbelief then on two grounds. One is that we, we don't believe in His love for us. We don't believe in His faithfulness and, and power. Yeshua said, look, look at the world. Look at the world around you. What are they chasing? You know, what is put out before, before the world um, you watch TV, you read the newspapers, etc., etc., get on the internet, it screams at you, this message of go for it and get it. That's what the pagans, the, the folks who, are not, who have not embraced the Lord. And he says, you, on the other hand, have a different perspective. You have to have a different perspective. Because you have... Heavenly Father who cares for you. Abba Father cares for you. And if you know and understand that, that He's able and willing and loving, then you'll be able to devote your attention and your priorities to seeking what He wants, His kingdom, His righteousness, and pursuing Him. Because, why? Because that's where your heart is. It's a struggle, folks. It's a struggle. It's a struggle for all of us. For each one of us, 
the battle of faith takes a different shape and is in different area. For me this week, it's been the issue of, of health. You know, I started the year saying, God, I'm going to trust you for good health so that I can do what you've called me to do, and then boom. It's very personal because I'm diabetic. And um, so there was a day or so when I was going through the sickness when I had to make a basic faith choice. Was I going to believe God? And trust Him for His love and His power to bring about the needed health. Not asking for anything outrageous, just the needed health to do what He's put before me. And Yeshua says, look, if you understand that God is for you, that He wants to take care of the basic needs that you have. And yes, there's nothing wrong with praying and seeking Him for those needs, for health or, or, or finances or etc., relationships more than basic. Um, then you will invest yourself in His priority and in the expansion, development of His kingdom. Where our eyes and our nose are pointed, that's where we'll go. And yes, danger and misfortune is possible. But Yeshua says to us, don't worry, but love the Lord wholeheartedly. He has blessings in store for you. Do you believe that? Don't worry and make yourself available to be there and see what God wants to do in you and through you. Don't worry because it's absolutely silly. It's worthless. You really don't accomplish anything. In fact, it's counterproductive. It is less than zero. It robs you of your ability to trust God and live in His shalom, in His peace and wholeness. It gums up your relationship with God. It, it, it clogs up the pipeline between you and God. And worst of all, don't worry, because it hurts the Father's heart. It suggests that you mean little to Him, that He doesn't care, that He's faithless, and then he is powerless to help. What do you do when you feel incapable of casting your cares on the Lord and trusting Him? You simply say, Lord, increase my faith. My faith is wobbly. You don't need to try and snow God and say, God, I am strong in faith today when your faith is wobbly and puny. You say, God, I want my faith to increase show me how to feed my faith I want to walk in faith I want to be a man or a woman of faith if you do then this is what the Lord has to say to you in repentance 
And rest is your salvation. And quietness and trust is your strength. Isaiah 30, 15. Let's close with that. Father God, we acknowledge before you, we stand before you, Lord, as fallen creatures, as those, Lord God, who have moments of unbelief, sometimes more than moments. Lord, we want to stand before you and we want to repent. Would you please stand? Lord, we want to repent individually and corporately of unbelief, of reluctance to trust you, to trust in your goodness and your love for us, Abba Father. Reluctance to trust you because we don't believe you have the power. We want to repent of that, Lord. We desire to turn away from that towards a life of faith. We want to invest ourselves in your kingdom. We want you, Lord God, to be our treasure. Lord God, I pray for each one of us. You know us intimately. You know us when we sit, when we stand. You know our thoughts before we even think those thoughts. Pray, Lord God, for each one of us that where we struggle in those areas in faith, Lord God, that your Ruach, your Spirit would gently speak to us and bring that to light and give us the grace, the the ability to release that to you and repent of it, Lord, to be washed clean and learn to grow in faith in our love relationship with you, Lord. Pray for each one of us, Lord. Lord, where we struggle, especially, Lord, in finances, we pray, Lord God, that you would teach us to trust you, to prove you, Lord God, and see that you would open the floodgates of heaven and provide for us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are a generous giver, the generous giver. Lord God, write that upon our hearts, we pray in the name of Yeshua. Amen.